But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Praise the Lord. If you uh, haven't worked on that, I encourage you to do that. Again, there are memory work cards in your seat to, to help you with that. <clears throat> uh, but I love the Word of God. I know uh, most of you love the Word of God. I believe the Word of God carries within it the power to change your life. And I want you to know that I really, really wanted to teach this week out of that memory work passage from 1 Peter 2, 9, and 10. I, I wanted to keep it in front of you. I wanted to <clears throat> teach out of it. In fact, for, over the course of the last two weeks, I actually started preparing two different messages out of 1 Peter 2, 9, and 10. But the whole time I was working, I, I just couldn't have a piece. And, and, and just a few days ago, I really felt like the Lord told me he wanted me to share something different with you. So that's what I'm going to do uh, today. Uh, I'm calling the message this morning, uh, Birth of a Revival, or What's Growing Inside of You? Birth of a Revival, or What's Growing Inside of You? So just to get us focused and moving, would you stand with me, please, in honor of the Word of God? And we're going to read together James <clears throat> chapter 1, verses 12 to 15. James chapter 1, verses 12 to 15. I'll read the plain text if you'll join me in reading <clears throat> the highlighted portions that we will walk through the passage together. James chapter 1, beginning at verse 12, this is what the Bible says. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when... By his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then, after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. And you may be seated. <clears throat> so with the church memorizing 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, and with me actually trying very hard to prepare a message from 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. How do we end up in James instead? Uh, the answer to that question requires me to tell you just a little bit of my story uh, or just a little bit about what God is doing with me or what's going on with me and has been for a little while now. As, as I've told you several times for well, well over a year, I've been absolutely convinced that God is wanting to do something significant here at Resurrection Church. I believe he's wanting to bring about a bona fide biblical revival and that he's wanting to do that through you. I believe the next revival is going to happen wherever you go, day by day, as rank and file people of God, simply overflowing with the presence of God. You're going to love God and you're going to love people in a way that makes a difference in the world around you. You're going to talk to people and help people as you notice people and reach out to them. You're going to strike up conversations with people and they're going to open up their hearts to you. And you're going to care. And you're going to help 
and you're going to pray, and God is going to answer. People are going to come to Jesus, Jesus is going to be glorified, and the kingdom of God is going to come around you because you're going to bring it there. I believe God wants to bring a revival, and it's a revival born of you and me being who we're supposed to be and doing what we're supposed to do, but the order there matters. In fact, I'm not even sure you can do kingdom work until you're committed to live by kingdom values. Kingdom works really require kingdom values. And God wants you and me to be a people passionately in love with Jesus, totally given over to Jesus. God wants us to be a people whose lives and thoughts and hopes and dreams are completely wrapped up in Jesus. The church exists in the world right now in order to fulfill the Great Commission, to carry on the mission of Christ, to seek and to save what was lost, to go into the world and make disciples, to take the time we have right now and spend it working for Jesus. As Jesus said in John chapter 9, verse 4, as long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. Think about it for just a moment. The, 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 the very moment you gave your heart to Jesus, he could have taken you straight to heaven right then. But instead, he left you here in this broken, fallen, messed up world. And I think it's fair to ask why. And the answer is he left you here so you can work to make it better. He left you here because he has a job for you to do. And that job is to go and make disciples, to be a follower of Jesus who makes more followers of Jesus. You and I have a job to do, and there is an urgency to it. We must work while it is day. The night is coming, Jesus said, when no one can work. I've been convicted of that for quite some time now. It has been working on me day and night. I can't stop thinking about it. I can't stop thinking about what it is I'm going to leave behind when I finally do leave this life. I want to bear fruit for Jesus. I want to bear fruit for the kingdom of God. And I want that for you as well. God has a job for you to do. But how do you get ready to do that work? Many, many years ago, I became convinced, came to realize that none of us is going to grow and none of us is going to change primarily as the result of Sunday morning sermons. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe these gatherings are absolutely crucial to your life. They're crucial for experiencing God and the community of saints. They're crucial for being reminded of who God is and who you are. They're crucial for you to be refreshed and renewed and encouraged in the faith reminded of your mission and your vision in Christ. These services shape you and form you and mold you into a people of God. 
but they do not and cannot grow you up and change you like you need to grow up and be changed. So many years ago, we began to stress small groups here at Resurrection Church. And over time, I've come to realize that small group gatherings are also crucial. They're crucial for building community and forging relationships, for praying and caring for one another, for helping to meet each other's needs, for social help and relationships and friendships and connectedness. But small group gatherings also do not grow us up and change us like we need to grow and be changed. So for some time now, I've been praying and thinking and praying and thinking. Pastor Matt and I have been praying and thinking and talking together. And so quite a few months ago, we launched uh, a handful of what we call microgroups. Basically, they're more intense small groups with fewer people and a greater, sharper focus. And I've got to tell you, nothing I have done in the last several years has had a greater impact or a more immediate impact on my personal spiritual life. And I think most of the guys who meet with me weekly would say the same. <clears throat> we study and memorize scripture together. We take on personal spiritual challenges, and then we report back and share our successes and our failures. We talk about our lives, we pray for each other, and we work together to grow and to change. God's word was given to change you. But that means you actually have to read it. A Bible left unopened beside your bed isn't helping anyone. One of the commitments in our micro group is that everyone in the group commits to do their best to spend 30 minutes every day in the Word of God. If 30 minutes is tough at one full clip, then they do 15 minutes at two different times. But the point is you have to be in the Word of God to have the Word of God in you. But simply reading isn't enough. You also need to think about what you're reading, to ponder and consider and pray about it, and that's why we talk about Scripture together each week, and that's why we work on memorizing Scripture together. But the real point is to do it. So you also need to put it into practice. And of all the places we fall down, that's the most common and the most serious. Every Christian in this room knows way more scripture than they actually do. But as a people married to the message, one of our commitments is to shrink the gap between what we know and what we do, between what we profess and how we live. And more than anything else I've done in years, I believe microgroups are helping people start to do that. If you're here this morning and God is speaking to you and you would like to commit to be a part of a microgroup, and it is a commitment, uh, don't leave here this morning without talking to me about that. But I give you all of that background just to say this. For the last two weeks in one of the microgroups I meet with, 6 a.m. every Thursday morning, we've been talking about this particular passage from James. And I believe it's a word not only for that small group of young men, but also for our whole church. The passage we read begins this way. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those 
who love him. The passage opens in with a word of encouragement to anyone going through hard times. And frankly, it's been hard not to notice lately that an awful lot of the people of God seem to be going through trials and tribulations. It's honestly been a little bit crazy. My wife and I are tired and stretched, and I know many of you are as well. We have people in the church dealing with health issues, people in the church dealing with depression, people in the church dealing with money troubles, people dealing with family stresses, school pressures, issues related to life transitions and retirements. And all of that is happening at a time when God is saying over and over and over again, focus on me and my kingdom. Be who you were created to be and do what you were created to do. Change and bring change to the world around you. Be focused and get busy. So what do we do with that? Well, for those of you who are going through various trials right now, the word of the Lord to you is persevere. Press on and press through. I think the worship time this morning was an encouragement to anyone here walking through a trial. Remember the goodness of God. Remember the faithfulness of God and press on and press through because blessed is the man. Blessed is the woman. Blessed is anyone who perseveres under trial. The Greek word translated here as perseveres is hupomene. And it literally means to stay or to remain or to persist under something. In other words, it is to hold on, to press on, and to carry on faithfully while under the stress and pressure of trials. To to persevere means to carry on faithfully while still under the pressure, while still under the difficulty, while still under the pain of hardship and trial and tribulation. God is calling you to persevere. But I get it. Trials feel overwhelming. And sometimes they are overwhelming. Not all trials are created equal, and I understand that. So I want to tell you this morning, if you're here and you're walking through a trial, please do not walk through it alone. Make a key part of your perseverance getting help and prayer from the body of Christ. Resist the urge to isolate. Press into the people of God. Tell your small group what's going on and ask for help where you need it. But as you go through the trials of life, you also need to remember that God is calling you to persevere, to carry on faithfully while you're still under those circumstances. Don't let yourself get bogged down and stopped in the trial. And do not let the trial become your main point of focus. And let me say this, do not let Getting out of the trial become your main point of focus. You need to do everything in your power to make Jesus and the advancement of the kingdom of God your main focus. 
it's extraordinary to me and frankly enlightening that over and over again in the epistles, Peter and Paul and John and James write a lot about trials and troubles and hardships and persecutions, but read them. At almost no time whatsoever do they ask to be released from them. They pray for grace to persevere. They pray for faith to remain faithful. They pray for boldness and power to carry on their work while still in the trial. They pray for boldness and power to sustain their witness while in the trial. But their focus remains ever constant on Jesus and the advancement of his kingdom. Now let's be clear. I am not saying, and don't go home and say I did, I am not saying you shouldn't pray or believe for your circumstances to change. But I am most certainly saying this. There are more important things. And there are more eternal things that should occupy your heart and mind and focus than the improvement of your circumstances. Trials are going to come, sometimes very serious trials. That is simply a given. And so the Apostle Peter writes to Christians and says this, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. Peter says trials in this life are not strange. They are simply going to happen. And listen to me. If your de facto position is, I'll focus on Jesus and his kingdom as soon as I'm through this trial, you are never going to focus on Jesus and his kingdom because trials are going to come. Back in the 80s and the 90s, far too many charismatic Christians concluded that the primary application of their faith was to keep them or get them out of trials. But God wants you to use your faith to serve him and his purposes. God wants you to use your faith, whether you're in a trial or not, to save the lost and heal the sick and feed the hungry and help the hurting, to clothe the naked and visit the lonely and bring the kingdom of God into the world. The passage we're looking at then goes on to say this. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. And this is the part we really have focused on in the last couple of weeks in one of those microgroups. Sin which, by the way, is a word I find fewer and fewer Christians using these days. Um, But it is something uh, that's a much bigger deal than I think most people understand. Sin, listen to me, sin is all about the want-tos. According to this passage, sin always begins in the heart as a disordered desire. Each one is tempted, the Bible says, when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed, then after desire has conceived, in time it gives birth 
to sin. For years, churches have made the terrible mistake of focusing primarily on outward behaviors. Don't lie, don't sleep around, don't do drugs, and don't steal. But I'm convinced the devil doesn't care if you're not sleeping with your boyfriend as long as part of you really wants to. I don't think the devil's troubled at all. If you're not cheating on your wife or cheating on your taxes, but part of the time you kind of want to. You're not cheating on your wife or cheating on your taxes, but you are occasionally willing to entertain the idea. You see, the devil understands that all sin begins in the heart as a want to. It starts in the heart as a desire. And if it's allowed to hang out and grow, it will eventually come out of your life. Those want-tos, if allowed to gestate, will eventually be born into the world as sin. That's why the Bible warns us in Proverbs 4.23, which we've memorized in two of my microgroups. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Say above all else. Here's what that means. Listen, that means if you don't do anything else, if you do not do anything else, make sure you do this. Above all else, guard your heart. Be careful what you let grow in your heart. Your heart is the wellspring of your life. That means your whole life flows out of it. Who you are, what you become, what you do flows out of your heart, out of what you let grow inside your heart. But here's the awesome, exciting, powerful thing about all of this and how it connects to what I shared at the beginning. Proverbs 4.23 means that James 1.14 and 15 applies not just to matters of sin, but also to matters of righteousness and revival. Listen. Whatever is conceived inside of you, if you let it grow there long enough, will eventually come out of your life as who you are and what you do. Let me say it again. Whatever is conceived inside of you, if you let it grow there long enough, will eventually come out of your life as who you are and what you do. If you allow selfish or self-centered desires to develop and grow in your heart, then you cannot help but end up living selfish and self-centered lives. But if the desires growing in your heart are for Jesus and the kingdom of God, then you're going to live a righteous life, and I believe you're going to see a revival. So the giant question for you this morning is what growing inside of you what's growing in your heart what are your primary want to's right now are your want to's more about stuff for you and your family or more about Christ and the kingdom of God are your main want to's listen and think about it and be honest when you consider this are your main want-tos more spiritual in nature or financial in nature? How often do you daydream 
about seeing your boss get baptized? How often do you daydream about seeing your classmates come to Jesus or getting your coworkers into when you just sit and dream? How often is it about the kingdom of God? What are the want tos that are filling your heart right now? What has been conceived in you? What is quietly growing deep inside you? I believe with all my heart that God is itching to bring a revival and he's itching to bring it through you. Jesus said he came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus said he came to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus said he came to see to it people had life and had it abundantly. And Jesus said if you would follow him, you would do the same things he was doing. God's plan is to change the world by changing you. And all of us need to start praying. Praying, Lord, send a revival and start with me. However much you think you want to see a revival, I promise you God wants to see one more. And I believe he's looking for a people who will conceive a revival in their heart and then love it and nurture it and imagine it and pray for it and dream about it until it dominates their want-tos. I believe God is looking for a people who want his kingdom to come more than they want anything else, who want to see lost people saved more than they want anything else, who want to see people hurt people healed more than they want to get a promotion, who want to see addicts set free more than they want a new television, who want to see angry, bitty, bitter, nasty people turn their lives around in Jesus more than they want anything else in the world. I believe God is looking for a people who will want it and want it and want it and want it until they want it more than they want anything else. God is looking for a people who will want what he wants and who will let those want-tos grow inside them until they simply cannot contain them anymore. Yes, you need to guard your heart against wicked, selfish, and ungodly want-tos. But in addition to that, and frankly more importantly than that, you need to aggressively fill your heart with godly desires and kingdom want-tos. To take time thinking and praying about loving God, think and, praying about, think and pray about loving people, want to bless and help your neighbors, want to bless and help your classmates, and then think and pray about how to do it. Want to share your testimony. Want to lead your family to Jesus. Want to help the poor and the lonely and the needy people you run into daily. Want to change your community for Jesus. Want to make your home and your workplace and your school better. And as those kingdom want-tos are conceived inside of you, nurture them and pray over them and think about them and let them grow in your heart and in your mind. One of the ways you do that is telling people about them. 
Tell people how much you love Jesus. Tell people how much you love them. Pray about how much you want to bless and serve Jesus, how much you want to bless and help people, and pray for people to come into the kingdom. And as these kingdom want-tos grow in your heart, it won't be long before they're born into the world as righteousness and ministry. Because, listen, you can't really want to love and bless people without starting to love and bless people. When all of us as a people begin to live like this, conceiving and gestating kingdom want-tos and bringing forth righteousness in our daily lives, ministering to and blessing people as a normal part of who we are, when that starts to happen across us as a church, then you will have conceived a revival. And it won't be long before that too is born. What is growing quietly inside of you? What do you want more than anything else? When your mind wanders wherever it wants to go, where does it want to go? If we will become a people who want Jesus and the kingdom of God to come, I believe it will transform the world around us because it will start by transforming us. Let's pray. Father, as always, we thank you for the power and the clarity of your word. In, in some ways, it's, it's so obvious and so simple. It matters what we want. It matters what is growing in our hearts. Lord, help us to want the right things. Help us to cultivate godly want-tos, kingdom want-tos. Help us to want what you want and to want it more than anything else in the world. Change our want-tos and line them up with yours. Make us the people you've called us and created us to be. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.